0: Hello everyone. So this is what the concept of Christ likeness means to me and my envisioning of it. Christlikeness says, never disgrace children, never belittle children, never reproach children, never stereotype children, liberate children, affirm children. Never discriminate in some way against children. Never in word, thought, deed, and emotion encourage disparagement of children. Christ likeness says, never disgrace women. Never belittle women. Never reproach women. Never stereotype women. Liberate women. Affirm women. Never discriminate in some way against women. Never in word, thought, deed and emotion encourage the disparagement of women. Christ's likeness says: never disgrace. the homeless, never belittle the homeless, never reproach the homeless, never stereotype the homeless, liberate the homeless, affirm the homeless, never discriminate in some way against the homeless, never in word, thought, deed, and emotion encourage the disparagement of the homeless. Christ likeness says, never disgrace people with disabilities. Never belittle people with disabilities. Never reproach people with disabilities. Never stereotype people with disabilities. Liberate people with disabilities. Affirm people with disabilities. Never discriminate in some way against people with disabilities. Never in word, thought, deed, and emotion encourage disparagement of people with disabilities. Christ likeness says never disgrace sex workers never belittle sex workers never reproach sex workers never stereotype sex workers liberate sex workers affirm sex workers never discriminate in some way against sex workers never in word thought deed and emotion encourage the disparagement of sex workers likeness is never disgrace the lgbtqi plus community Never belittle the LGBTQI plus community. Never reproach the LGBTQI plus community. Never stereotype the LGBTQI plus community. Liberate the LGBTQI plus community. Affirm the LGBTQI plus community. Never discriminate in some way against the LGBTQI plus community. Never, in word, thought, deed, and emotion, encourage the disparagement. Of the LGBTQI+ community, Christ likeness says, "Never disgrace black people. Never belittle black people. Never reproach black people. Never stereotype black people. Liberate black people. Affirm black people." Never discriminate in some way against black people. Never in word, thought, deed, and emotion encourage a disparagement of black people. Christ likeness says, Never disgrace. Refugees never belittle refugees, never reproach refugees, never stereotype refugees, affirm refugees, liberate refugees, never discriminate in some way against refugees, never in word, thought, duty, and emotion encourage the disparagement of refugees. Christ likeness is never disgrace immigrants, never belittle immigrants, never reproach immigrants, never stereotype immigrants, liberate immigrants, affirm immigrants, never discriminate in some way against immigrants, never in word, thought, deed, and emotion encourage the disparagement of immigrants. Christ likeness is never disgrace asylum seekers, never belittle asylum seekers, never reproach asylum seekers, never stereotype asylum seekers, liberate asylum seekers, affirm asylum seekers, never discriminate in some way against asylum seekers, never word, thought, deed, and emotion encourage the disparagement. Of asylum seekers, Christlikeness likeness says never disgrace non binary gender non conforming persons, never belittle. Non-binary gender non-conforming persons. Never reproach non-binary gender non-conforming persons. Never stereotype non-binary gender non-conforming persons. Liberate non-binary gender non-conforming persons. Affirm non-binary gender non-conforming persons never discriminate in some way against non-binary, gender-nonconforming persons. Never in word, thought, deed, and emotion encourage the disparagement of non-binary, gender-nonconforming persons. Christ's likeness says never disgrace men never belittle men never reproach men never stereotype men never discriminate in some way against men liberate men affirm men never in word thought deed and emotion encourage disparagement of men Christ's likeness is never disgrace boys and girls. Never belittle boys and girls. Never reproach boys and girls. Never stereotype boys and girls. Liberate boys and girls. Affirm boys and girls. Never discriminate in some way against boys and girls. Never in word, thought, did an emotion encourage disparagement of boys and girls. Christ likeness says never disgrace adults, never belittle adults, never reproach adults, never stereotype adults, Liber- um liberate adults, affirm adults, never discriminate in some way against adults. Never word thought, deed, and emotion encourage a disparagement of adults. Christ's likeness says never disgrace the poor and unemployed. Never be never belittle the poor and unemployed. Never reproach the poor and unemployed. Never stereotype the poor and unemployed. Liberate the poor and unemployed. Affirm the poor and, unumpl- and unemployed. Never discriminate in some way against the poor and unemployed. Never word, thought, deed, and emotion encourage disparagement of the poor and unemployed. Christ's likeness says never disgrace the underemployed. Never belittle the underemployed. Never reproach the underemployed. Never stereotype the underemployed. Liberate the underemployed. Affirm the underemployed. Never discriminate in some way against the underemployed. Never in word thought did an emotion encourage the disparagement of the underemployed. Christ likeness says, Never disgrace the overemployed. Never belittle the overemployed. Never reproach the overemployed. Never stereotype the overemployed. Liberate the overemployed. Affirm the overemployed. Never discriminate in some way against the overemployed. Never in word, thought, do and emotion, encourage a disparagement of the overemployed. Christ likenesses never disgrace Native indigenous persons. Never belittle Native indigenous persons. Never reproach Native Indigenous persons. Never stereotype Native and Indigenous persons. Liberate Native Indigenous persons. Affirm Native Indigenous persons. Never discriminate in some way against Native Indigenous persons. Never word, thought, and emotion encourage a disparagement of Native Indigenous persons. Christ likeness says, never disgrace people of Hispanic descent, never belittle people of Hispanic descent, never reproach people of Hispanic descent, never stereotype people of Hispanic descent, liberate people of Hispanic descent, affirm people of Hispanic descent. Never discriminate in some way against people of Hispanic descent. Never word, thought, deed, and emotion encourage disparagement of people of Hispanic descent. likeness is never disgrace those of Asian descent. Never belittle those of Asian descent. Never reproach those of Asian descent. Never stereotype those of Asian descent. Liberate those of Asian descent. Affirm those of Asian descent. Never discriminate in some way against those of Asian descent. Never word, thought, do an emotion encourage disparagement of those of Asian descent. Never, according to Christ's likeness, disgrace Middle Easterners. Never... Belittle Middle Easterners. Never reproach Middle Easterners. Never stereotype Middle Easterners. Liberate Middle Easterners. Affirm Middle Easterners. Never discriminate in some way against Middle Easterners. Never word, thought, deed, never word, thought, deed, and emotion encourage disparagement of Middle Easterners. So what I want to also say is when it comes to Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness means That survivors of all types and contexts of abuse experience the safety and sanity of compassionate love, agape love, unconditional love, sacrificial love. Companionate love, neighborly love, selfless love, pleasant astonishment, pleasant amazement, pleasant surprises, healthy relief, healthy rapture, enthrallment, hope, eagerness, optimism, healthy triumphs, healthy pride, healthy pleasure, contentment, exhilaration, thrill, Excitement, zeal, Enthusiasm, Zest, Euphoria, Ecstasy, Satisfaction, Elation, Jubilation, Happiness, Gladness, Enjoyment, Delight, Joy, Joviality, Jolliness, Glee, Gaiety, Bliss, Amusement, Longing, Sentimentality, Compassion, Tenderness, Caring, Liking, Fondness, Adoration. And what I've also learned. About Christ's likeness is. Is that there's the crafting and maintenance of egalitarianism traditions, egalitarianism policies, egalitarianism ideas, egalitarianism practices, egalitarianism laws, and egalitarianism institutions, egalitarianism systems, egalitarianism industries egalitarianism individuals, and egalitarianism groups. That is the proper replacement of discriminatory traditions, discriminatory policies, discriminatory ideas, discriminatory practices, discriminatory laws, discriminatory institutions, discriminatory systems, discriminatory industries, discriminatory individuals, and discriminatory groups. And I've learned that Christlikeness means overcoming addictions with those of brain chemical dependency. Christlikeness means Not being bigoted towards people of all diagnoses, conditions, and diseases. Instead, being their gentle guide in the midst of diagnoses, conditions, and diseases. And this is what I've also learned and then I just talked to you from the heart without <laughs> reading anything down but um, likeness means that you don't victim blame, you don't victim shame, and you don't victim game because we do not want to re-traumatize survivors of all types, contexts of abuses by making them feel anger, outrage, fury, wrath, hostility, ferocity, bitterness, hatred, scorn, spite, vengeance, dislike, resentment, Dread, distress, worry, fear, apprehension, uneasiness, suspense, anxiety, and nervousness. So, what I came to grips with by me being studious of Christlikeness is that... um, likeness says never disgrace unbelievers and non-believers. Never belittle unbelievers and non-believers, never reproach unbelievers and non-believers, never stereotype unbelievers and non-believers, never discriminate in some way against unbelievers and non-believers, liberate unbelievers and non-believers, affirm unbelievers and non-believers... Never word, thought, deed, and emotion encourage disparagement of unbelievers and unbelievers. And to be fair, Christ likeness says never disgrace theists and believers, never belittle theists and believers, never reproach theists and believers, never stereotype believers and theists, liberate theists and believers, affirm theists and believers. Never discriminate in some way against believers and theists. Never word, thought, deed, deed and emotion encourage disparagement of believers and theists. Now, I pretty much summed up Christ likeness in that manner, but let me go off the top of my head with my Webster's in my hand. Um, Ever since I have learned about um, how the church operates, as an example, I've really started to recognize that I don't have an issue with church as a concept. What I have an issue with is... Is that there have been experiences that people have where they have tried to tell church leadership about, for example, being raped being human trafficked, being molested, being assaulted, intimate partner violence, intimate partner sexual violence, domestic sexual violence, domestic abuse, domestic violence, and domestic disputes. And what happens is, is that not all church leadership, but some have, they will hear what you're saying, but not really listen to what you're saying. And they will ask you victim-blaming questions They will make victim-blaming statements. They will make backhanded compliments. They will make victim-blaming recommendations, victim-blaming social cues, victim-blaming suggestions, and victim-blaming comments. And they will do absolutely nothing with the information that you tell them. The metaphor I'm going to use is this. It's like somebody putting money in your hand and you open your hand wide open and the money falls on the ground. That's how people feel about their hearts. I gave you my heart. You opened your hand and now my heart is... Sliced and diced in smithereens on the ground. He broke my heart. And that is how many um, people in church have been feeling. It's like, okay, you're not going to even pray to God about this, even though you say that's what you're going to do. And you never talk to anybody church leadership about it. And in cases that they do, it's not being conversant, it's being gossipy. And now the whole church knows that person's business without that person's permission. And now people in that church are taunting that person, making harmful innuendos about that person. Sometimes the person stays indoors, and sometimes the pain gets too much where they start ditching church. So what I've learned is that um, in the world of church, what people have to do is go to the right people who can do right by what the sufferer is righteously complaining about. That when you say you're going to do something, actually do it. Like, it's okay to go to experts for the knowledge you lack. There's nothing wrong with not knowing everything, but there's something wrong with willful ignorance when you're not even trying to get that person to suffer the proper compassion and assistance they need. And what I've learned is that in church, it's okay to say, I don't know, I don't understand, and to make healthy referrals. You know, referrals meaning that if a therapist is better suited or there's advocacy, a group that's better suited or if there are community activists that are better suited or a politician that's better suited, then you can um, have them go to them. And I feel like a lot of times when they question or comment survivors like me, I say to myself, Jesus would never ask me that question. You know, what have you done? Or what are your credentials? Who are you to say such things? It's like Jesus would never ask the victims those questions. He would ask the victimizers those questions. And Jesus would make comments that are in favor of us victims and disfavoring the victimizers, he would make comments against them. Because I'm learning in the church world, from what I've been privy to, is that a lot of times people are afraid to challenge each other because challenging each other is challenging themselves because, oh, we are each other. So I've learned that in the church world, A lot of times, um, people are not taught to learn from their critics. I'm not talking about the mean-spirited people who never care about you as a person. I'm talking about people like me, who are well-meaning, well-hearted critics, who actually believe in you. Who actually... Respect church as a concept and as a reality, so it could be the best that it can be. But a lot of times when, you know, when people have um, tried talking to some churches, they are met with defensiveness, argumentativeness, looking to get offended and listening to respond. And what I've learned is also is that the perfectionism tends to be self-imposed. When you are lovingly corrected, which a lot of people in church seem to dislike, which is baffling to me because Jesus is a constructive criticism type of savior based on what I've read. Um Suddenly they accuse you of perfectionism, which is projection of their own self-imposed perfectionism on others. It's like, no, flaw being flawed is not bad. God never used a perfect person to accomplish God's will. And when He did, when God did, it was God's self in fleshly form according to biblical theology Um, so it's okay to grow daily and never be perfect because life requires novelty exploration newness Refreshment, um, discovery, and and being adventurous. So in scripture it says Jesus came to make you whole Jesus wants people to be fully human not partly human and what I have learned when it comes to the Bible is that because we're dealing with The struggle to understand ancient humor and ancient linguistics, I think, as well as ancient cultural contextualization, I'm sorry, ancient cultural contextualism, well, you know, they're both words to me, because well-educated people, we can do that, um... I think that's why in church there are um Bible fights, Bible translation fights, Bible transliteration fights, um Bible version fights, um preacher attire fights preaching styles fights Um, should humor be used or not in preaching fights Um, and should preachers use commentaries when they preach or not fights should preachers preach off the top of their head as long as the bible by their side fights or should preachers just preach off top of their head as long as they preach conservative theology fights and you also have um should christian television exist or not fights should christian music exist or not fights mahalia jackson type music or kirk franklin type music which one Is holy and can they both coexist? Type fights. Then there's, should Christians go to secular events? Fights. Should Christians go to secular venue? Fights. And then you have, should Christians enjoy secular music and secular media? Fights. Should Christians enjoy secular movie? Fights should second music and second movies be played in churches or not fights and then they have church attire fights should women wear pants or not fights should men wear suits or robes on fights um Should women completely cover up their convaciousness fights? Are women the only ones that can wear the church hats fights? Should men wear bow ties or just regular ties fights? Should women be the only ones with handkerchiefs and scarf fights? Is it okay to get godly women in their church or outside of their church fights? Should you only be with a godly woman that goes to the same church with you or a different church than you fights? And then, in the in the church world, these other fights of notice. How can a man present himself without? Looking stereotypically effeminate fights. How can women present themselves without looking stereotypically masculine fights? I'm talking about vo- vocal f- I'm talking about voice fights, wardrobe fights, should women be the only one with makeup and nail polish fights? Or should men be the only ones shaved and trim fights? And then the other fights they have in church, I've noticed, is... Should there be teleprompters with hymnal and gospel music lyrics? Or should everybody recite them from heart at the same time? Fights. Should people use their phones during church fights? And should people use their iPads, their church fights? Then they have this fight of when it's time to read the Bible together as a unit. Should everybody have physical hand copies of the Bible? Or technology having on the internet the Bible verses of their fights? Should we all use the same version when reading the Bible together? Or different versions of the Bible fights? Um, and I noticed that, um, in the church world too, based upon my being in it all these years, I recognize too that they fight over what colors to paint the church. Should we use red, the blood of Jesus, should we use blue, the sky where We think God is, you know, resembles, you know, um, the flood and what God had to do to correct humanity, or should we use gold, you know, the streets of gold, or maybe we should use gray, because it looks gray, aqua gray, you know, because it looks, it resembles the pearly gates. So, or should we use white because Jesus cleansed us white as snow with his blood? And some will say, just use all the colors that resemble the Bible. Some will go, but we got to pick one, got to at least pick one or two, because all the colors, it could be too much and confusing for people. So you have those type of fights. And then in church, they have food fights. I'm not talking about the ones in schools that you see in the movies. I'm talking about, well, do we go by the dietary restrictions of Leviticus and Deuteronomy? Or do we just go by the Mediterranean diet that Jesus was raised on while he was on earth for approximately 33 years? Or do we go by the modern health diet? So in churches, that they're struggling with What to feed people that doesn't offend Jehovah. I've been in that world for years. Other fights that they have is... Is it wrong to be a Christian cougar or can it be right fights? You know, well, it's okay to like young men as long as they're Christian young men you know, y'all of age, hey, as long as you're biblical, I don't see why not, well, some will go, well, no, that comes off predatory, and, you know, perpetrating, and those aren't the traits of Jesus, so you have those fights in the church, and then you have people go, well, you know, is it also wrong for, you know, Christian older men to want to be with Christian younger women, and, you know, doesn't that come off as Christianized covert incest then some will go well I mean God didn't say that they couldn't I mean Abraham and Sarah were elderly when they had Isaac so as long as they're of God I don't see the problem so you have that going on in church and um, you also have Old Testament New Testament fights in church. They're like, okay, maybe the New Testament is better than the Old Testament because Jesus is in the Old Testament, the first four books. And then you got Paul, who explains the rest of our Christian foundation. And then you got Peter's writings, too. And yeah, he was one of the original 12. And some will go, well, I think the Old Testament is better because you know that's how our christian foundation started we got moses we got you know the god of abraham the god of isaac the god of jacob and you know we got uh the 12 tribes of israel we got king solomon we got david and we have all the prophets of old while well, some will go this is pointless Let's love them equally and just stick with following Jesus. He got those fights in church. Um, And then what I've noticed is that in church, there's a struggle with how close should we get to the pastor or not? Because there's some reports where some pastors are excellent at maintaining privacy and confidentiality. Then there's some pastors who babble mouth personal information about members to anyone willing to listen that's close to the pastor. And then some will go, well, you know, you can be friends with the pastor as long as you agree to not talk about certain things on any other friendship. Well, some go, oh no, because why would you want to befriend your moralist? And then, you know, I've noticed that some in particular, the way they go about um, talking to members, is like they're one way in church and a completely different way outside of church, meaning how they really talk and feel shock some church members who may be nearby like, oh my god I didn't know my pastor was into dark comedy or blue comedy oh my god I didn't know my pastor was extremely liberal oh my god, I didn't know my pastor was extremely conservative because I don't get those vibes from pastor when pastor preaches and when pastor talks to us in the church house And so some will go, well, your pastor's human, so you don't want to know certain sides of your pastor. You just want to see the professional side of the pastor and keep it moving. Um, I remember when I was in church, I never truly had extensive, full-length conversations with pastors, um... A few times, but for the most part, no. A few times because, you know, it was pretty light that day. Sometimes, every now and then the church is pretty light in terms of the lineup to see who's the pastor. You know, most of the time, the lines to talk to the pastor are quite lengthy long. So, for the most part, when I would talk to pastors, it would be... You know, if I went to I had a quick lunch with them or a five minute talk with them, it would be about you know, you know, talking about them real quick, like you know, hey, how you doing? How was your week? And you know, the responsibilities they had that time. That's you know, responsibilities. Like, okay, what's it like to be a pastor? What is it like to you know talk to all of his members? That type of stuff. Very casual, professional. The kind of stuff that a pastor could easily answer and it's quick. They don't have to think much on it. They know they—they they, the truth in them to say what it's really like. Not prying in their business, but just saying I wouldn't talk to them to t- about the type of things that would break privacy confidentiality. So I talked to pastors very a little bit, but for the most part, they were so busy and just like, I ain't talking to them. Cause you got all these people. So I remember when I was in my ch- in church one time, um, childhood church, actually, I remember, um, I remember um usually I would stick my head in the door and say, hey, Pastor, how you doing, Antonio? I'm good, Pastor. Good seeing you. All right. And keep it moving. I-, I used to do that for years when I would see the line. And when people are talking with each other, I just say, Hey Pastor, how you doing? And I'm off and going because I'm hungry. Okay, I spoke to everybody in church. I was scored to everybody in church. Everybody who want their hugs got their hugs. Everybody's a handshaker. They got their handshakes. And you know, in church, I greeted people the way they let me know they want to be greeted. Some people in church are not huggers. Some people in church are not handshakers. Some people in church, they don't want you touching them. They just want you to wave and look at them in the eye, glance, hey, how you doing? Hey, and keep it moving. Um, I was, I've been that way my whole life in church. What happened in church was, um, I remember there were one time the, the members just noticed it because usually when I would say hi and keep it moving, the other members in the line would just wave at me, I would wave at them and they would talk to me for a little bit, you know, like quick conversation and I'm, I'm gone because I'm hungry. Plus, my parents would be in the car waiting for me, and they knew I would take a little bit, because, you know, in church, a lot of people were cordial and cool with me, so that's why. So I didn't want to keep my parents waiting, because we we was going to go to brunch, we was going to go get some real soul food, you know? And I remember one time, I walked away, as usual, I did my hey pastor real quick, and as I turned to leave, because I'm thinking, I'm not thinking about pastor anymore. I'm thinking about, I'm hungry. I need to eat. remember member, one member, some of the members stopped me and said, Antonio, I've noticed you never have a full-length conversation with pastor. Why is that? I see you always talking to people. What's going on? And I told them like, y'all want the pastor's attention. I ain't gonna take that away from you and then I remember saying you know I, I respect pastor and in in pastor's time hey you know y'all need his help on things it's cool and I told them honestly I'm hungry and they stopped me at first they laughed then they seriously stopped me and said Antonio it's okay if you need to talk to the pastor Start talking to the pastor We'll wait for you And everybody in line agreed in unison They strongly agreed in unison Like yeah, take your time Don't rush, you cool You you don't, you know, you real respectful So yeah, you can take all time to with a pastor So I would talk to the pastor When no one was there <laughs> I Like sometimes I was there during the week Because my parents were in ministry And they still are so, I would talk to the pastor when nobody was around. That's how I would get conversations with the pastor, because I'm like, I can't talk to pastor when y'all are there, because I don't know when y'all gonna get moody and cranky. So, you know, in church, I um I noticed things about, you know, sometimes I remember singing with my mom in the choir, and. Around that time, 2015, I was still feeling real sad. So there are times where I would barely talk. And I, when it was time to leave choir practice, or just when it was time to, you know, exit from the choir loft because singing was over, sometimes the choir director would tell me to sing a little bit because I would kind of mumble. Because I was feeling really depressed. And the reason why I was feeling depressed was because I started learning that, you know, um, I started having a conviction that this church system I'm feeling internal depletion like I started thinking to my I started reading the Bible and noticing the differences between the early church and the modern church and I can tell you what those are especially in the first few chapters of the book of Acts, like I started thinking to myself, um, the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayer. I said to myself, I've been in the modern church for years and the modern church doesn't devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayer. Then I said to myself, the early church says that everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And I said to myself, when it comes to the modern church, everyone is not filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. I said, the early church says that all the believers were together, had everything in common. I said to myself, when it comes to the modern church, all the believers are not together and they don't have everything in common. And then I said to myself that when it comes to the early church, they sold property possession to give to anyone who had need. In the modern church, they don't sell property possessions to give to anyone who had need. And then I said to myself, in the modern church, every day they do not continue to meet together in the temple courts. But I said to myself, in the early church, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. And then I said to myself, in the early church, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Then I said to myself, in the modern church, they don't break bread in their homes and they do not eat together with glad and sincere hearts. And then I said to myself, in the early church, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. I said in the modern church, they're not praising God and not enjoying the favor of all the people. And then I said to myself, in the early church, it says, and the Lord added to the number daily those who are being saved. And then I said to myself, in the modern church, and the Lord does not add to the number daily those who are being saved. I said... Then I went back to my original point. I said... The early church, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I said, in the modern church, they do not devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And then I ultimately said... In the... In the modern church, there's no fellowship of the believers. I said in the early church, there's fellowship of the believers. And that's how I was feeling at the time because I was noticing discrepancies between the first century church and the 21st century church. And then this is what I said to myself. I said, in the early church, the believers share their possessions. In the modern church, the believers don't share their possessions. And then I said to myself, in the early church, all the believers were, were one in heart and mind. And I said, in the modern church, all the believers are not one in heart and mind. And then I said to myself, in the early church, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And then I said to myself, in the modern church, the majority claimed that any of their possessions are their own, and they don't share everything they have. And then I said to myself, in the early church, with great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And I said, in the modern church, there's no great power the apostles have in terms of continuing to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Then I said, in the early church, in God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. And I said, in the modern church, they don't allow God's grace to be so powerfully at work in them all. And and that there are countless needy persons among them. And then I said... In the early church, for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and was distributed to anyone who had need. I said, in the modern church, there is no for from time to time those who own land or houses sold them because they keep their lands and houses for themselves and whatever money from the sales they have It's for self-enrichment, not community enrichment. And they don't put it at the apostles' feet. They put it at the feet of their favorites. And they do not distribute to anyone who had need. So I started recognizing... um, that I've asked that's when I've really started struggling with the concept of church because what I saw the first century church do in terms of my readings of it I'm saying to myself the modern church is so submissive to imperialism and colonialism that is basically the modern Roman Empire. And I said to myself, Constantine runs the church because the church doesn't want Jesus to run the church. And then I started... um saying to myself that in the early church, the apostles healed many. In the modern church, the apostles don't heal many. I said to myself, in the early church, the apostles perform many signs and wonders among the people. In the modern church, the apostles do not perform many signs and wonders among the people. I said to myself, in the early church, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to the number. In the modern church, nevertheless, more and more men and women are not into um, Christianity and their numbers are decreasing because of the dramatic decline of church attendance. And then I said... Um, in the early church As a result, people brought the sick into the streets And laid them on beds and mats So that, le- to that, so that at least Peter's shadow Might fall on some of them as he passed by Then I said to, said to myself In the modern church As a result, people are not Bringing the sick into the streets They're not laying them on beds and mats So that at least an apostle's shadow might fall on some of them as they as the apostles passed by, and then I said to myself, in the early church, crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. But I said to myself, I said to myself, the modern church crowds are not gathering also from the towns around. All the continents and all the islands, they're not bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and not all of them are healed. Then I said to myself, In the early church, all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's Colony. I said, In the modern church, not all the believers are meeting together in agreed upon locations. Um, Then I said to myself, in early church, no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. In the modern church, no one is daring to join them because they're highly disregarded by the people. I said to myself, if you're part of the church, if you abide by the Holy Spirit, you should have a Holy Spirit within you. Y'all are supposed to be holy human. But you have a lot of people who say they abide by the Holy Spirit, but they have unholy spirits about themselves. They're unholy humans. And these were the thoughts I was having at that time growing up, um, fresh out of college. And, um, I was a newly college graduate and, um... I recognize other things about church that really disturbed me. In the early church, believers were one in body, spirit, hope, Lord, faith, baptism, and God. I said in the modern church, believers are not one in body, spirit, hope, Lord, faith, back to baptism, and God. And then in the early church... Their unity was experienced in the fellowship of believers, the church, the Holy Spirit who activates the fellowship, that glorious future to which we are all called, Christ to whom we all belong, our singular commitment to Christ, baptism the sign of entry into the church, God who is our Father who keeps us for eternity. In the modern church, their unity is not experienced in the fellowship of believers, the church. Their unity is not experienced in the Holy Spirit who activates the fellowship. Their unity is not experienced in the glorious future to which we are all called. Their unity is not experienced in Christ whom we all belong. Their unity is not experienced in their singular commitment to Christ. Their unity is not experienced in baptism, the sign of entry into the church. The unity is not experienced in God who is their father who keeps them for eternity. More of these thoughts I started having in 2015. And I said to myself, in the early church, believers were not separated because of minor differences in doctrine. I said, in the modern church, believers are separated because of minor differences in doctrine. I said, in the early church, overall, the Christians did agree to attain true unity. I said, in the modern church, the Christians disagree to keep not attaining true unity. And then I said, I've noticed in the early church, believers had unity of spirit and they did not allow petty differences to be allowed to dissolve that unity. I said in the modern church, believers have the disunity of the spirit of haughtiness and they allow petty differences to dissolve that unity. So, in the early church, there was the oneness of all believers. In the modern church, there's no oneness of all believers. And... I say all this to say that... um, I say all this to say that when it comes to church overall, I'm noticing that there are only three forms of Christianity in the modern church. In the modern church, there's lawless Christianity. They this is their definite this is the modern church's definition of a Christian. Christians live above a law. They need no guidelines. God's word is not as important as our personal sense of God's guidance. Um, And that the danger of their lawless Christianity forgets that Christians are still human and fail consistently when trying to live only by what they, quote, unquote, feel God wants. And then the genuine concern of lawless Christianity Recognize that forgiveness from God cannot be based on our ability to live up to God's perfect standards. Um, it must be received by faith as a gift made possible by Christ's death on the cross. An application question Do you recognize the ongoing need for God's express commands to live out your gratitude for God's great salvation? So, that is an issue in church. Um, I'm not trying to make everybody think the same on everything. What I'm saying is is that I've noticed that type of Christianity in church. Um, Another form of Christianity in church is this. It's called legalized Christianity. So here is the modern church's definition of legalized Christianity. Christians are those who live by a long list of don'ts. God's favor is earned by good behavior. Their genuine concern recognizes that real change brought about by God should lead to changes in behavior. The danger of legalized Christianity tends to make God's love something to earn rather than accept freely, but reduce Christianity to a set of impossible rules and transform the good news into bad news. The application question is important as change in action is, can you see that God may be desiring different changes in you than in others? So... Then you have this other form of Christianity in churches called Judaized Christianity. Their definition of a Christian, Christians are Jews who have recognized Jesus as the promised Savior. Therefore, any Gentile desiring to become a Christian must first become a Jew. In their genuine concern, having high regard for the scriptures and God's choice of Jews as God's people, they did not want to see God's commands overlooked or broken. The danger tends to add human traditions and standards to God's laws also detracts from the scriptures, God's clear concern for all the nations. The application question, do you appreciate God's choice of unique people through whom God offered forgiveness and eternal life to all people? So, in church... I'm reading to you the New International Version, and how all those forms of Christianity are causing um, people to leave in dro- leave the church in droves daily, which is why churches are closing rapidly in America because they cannot agree on any form of Christianity. See there are distortions of Christianity that has been plaguing the church for years. According to NIV, almost from the beginning there were forces at work within Christianity that would have destroyed or sidetracked the movement of these Three created many problems that then and have continued to reappear in other forms even today. The three aberrations are contrasted to true Christianity as the church would define it. So what I'm explaining is is that these are the kinds of religious fights, faith fights, denominational fights, spirituality fights that the church is having with itself today. I'm just, I'm explaining to you what a lot of people are feeling, what a lot of people are noticing. Like, sad to say the modern church cannot agree on true Christianity. So if I were to say their definition of a Christian, Christians are those who believe inwardly and outwardly that Jesus' death has allowed God to offer them forgiveness and eternal life as a gift. They have accepted that gift through faith and are seeking to live a life of obedient gratitude for God has done for them. The modern church is so backwards that some some people who claim to be believers would have a problem with that definition of a Christian. Then if I were to say the genuine concern when it comes to true Christianity, Christianity is both private and public with heart belief and mouth confession, Our relationship to God and the power of God provides to result in obedience having received forgiveness and eternal life. We are now daily challenged to live that life with God's help. The modern church is so regressing that there will be people claiming to be believers who have a problem with that genuine concern of true Christianity. If I were to say that when it comes to true Christianity, that there's avoiding the above dangers of Judaized Christianity, legalized Christianity, and lawless Christianity, you would have believers who would who claim to be believers who would throw pious temper tantrums about that. And then if I were to ask an application question of true Christianity, how would those closest to you describe your Christianity? Do they think you live so that God will accept you? Or do they know that you live because God has accepted you in Christ? You have plenty of believers. People say they believers who would throw hissy fits about it. So the goal of this episode is to let people know that here. Here are the ways that the church is warring against itself. And here are the ways that the church is ruining its own life. The church is making its own life a living hell pun intended on earth. So I wasn't being preachy. I wasn't being churchy. I wasn't trying to force everybody to be Christian. That's not what I was doing. What I was explaining is some of my episodes, I'm talking to believers. Some of my episodes, I talk to non-believers but in this episode I was talking to a mixture of both when I first started when I first started talking about Christ likeness should be I was talking to non-believers when I was talking to what I've noticed in church I was talking to believers just because I talk in a way that you understand it doesn't mean I'm trying to force you to think nor believe any kind of way. I speak people's languages to best get their attention so they can best understand what I'm saying. Um, But I've noticed that um, in church, people are having these Christianity distortion and Christianity aberration fights. And so what I have really learned is that... um, Also, this is what I've learned. In church, there are reports of people who will charge you thousands of dollars to pray. They will charge you thousands of dollars, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars in honorariums. Sometimes to make hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, you can learn, so they can teach you to pray. And they get percentages of tithes and offerings in worship services. That's what's happening in church, too. They will pass the love offering buckets multiple times and type offering buckets multiple times because they feel like well because it's because we're because the church and the pulpits are being underpaid and honorariums are light we got passed around multiple times, especially if we cause them to engage in Pentecostal type behavior, such as performing exorcisms, speaking in tongues, lip lip syncing praises to God, and having them praise dance, do backflips and cartwheels, and running track star laps around the church, and they're twerking like they're at a nightclub in church, and they are. Booking like they're at a banquet or a gala in church. Or they do the drum solo, do 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 and the ha-ha when they preach. That means that they will distribute more of their dollars, coins, and pocketbook type of checks that they write out more money to us. It is a form of economic creed. Emotionalism leads to compensation, and denialism is a cult follower. Characteristic. Let's get you to be performative in the form of verbal psychological manipulation and nonverbal psychological manipulation. And then I've also noticed that um, within the church world, um, they fight over... The ceremonial laws, civil laws, and moral laws of the Old Testament. And they fight over... Do we still have to obey the Old Testament laws or not? And... um, Then they fight over the true gospel. And they fight over which ones are the false gospels. Like in church, they fight over... Who are the heretics and who are the actual people of God? Who are the Antichrist, and who are God's community? They can't agree on who is of God and who's not of God. They fight over... Should politics be preached about or not? And then I've noticed... They fight over who are the stronger believers, who are the weaker believers... Is it the pastors and leaders who are the only leaders or are we leaders too? They fight over that. They fight over church discipline. When do we start excommunicating? Do we excommunicate? When do we start disfellowshipping? Do we disfellowship? Some agree with excommunication, disfellowshipping. Some disagree with excommunicated. Excommunication is fellowshipping. Um, And then another thing I've noticed. Is that when it comes to. The world of church. Is that they fight over. Do we use dictionary verbiage when we teach and preach? Or do we not use a lot of dictionary verbiage when we teach and preach? Do we use dictionary verbiage when we pray? Or do we not use so much dictionary verbiage when we pray? And they fight over... Do we... Talk more about Christian foundation when it comes to Peter or Paul or Moses. Or do we talk about Christian foundation when it comes to the red letters of Jesus? Or do we only read the red letters of Jesus and not the black letters of everybody else? Or do we read the black letters... More than we read the red letters, do we read the red letters or black letters equally? That these are the fights that they have, and the last fight I'll mention is that they fight over who's is there modern Sadducees or not? Are there modern Pharisees or not? they modern teachers of the law or not? Their modern scribes or not? Are there modern zealots or not? They're modern Herodians or not? They can't even agree on who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. (sighs) My sighing says it all. Thank you.